Our scripture reading this morning is from Micah 6, 1 to 8. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the controversy of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? In what have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what King Balak of Moab devised, what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. I'm going to invite Irv Weens now to come. I just want to say thanks to Melissa and to the, to the whole music team for the wonderful worship that you led us in this morning. It's just such a privilege to be together and sing the way you led us. I just love it. Um, my name is Irv, as Helen said, and together with my wonderful wife, Marion, and our grandson, Nathan, we've been part of this congregation for about four and a half years, and it's... Uh, it's just a real gift to be part of you, to learn to love so many of you, and uh, celebrate and worship together with you. Thank you. So today is the second Sunday of Advent. My notes say that's the first Sunday, but it's not. It's the second Sunday because last Sunday didn't happen here. Children are excited. Children are excited about Christmas coming, and adults um, recognize this as the time we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus. During the Advent season, we will focus on the coming kingdom of God. And uh, you can see the picture here. This picture is the, the inspiration for us. Some of us have already studied it. Some of the rest of you are encouraged to study the coming kingdom of God. Now, if you're a football fan, you may recognize, at least if you're an old enough football fan, you will, may recognize this picture, John 3.16. However, I would love to see this sign and, in a football game. People memorize John 3.16, they know what it is, and uh, they, they just take it for granted. But if you would see this picture, Micah 6 verse 8 on a, at a football game, what would you do? You'd pull out your phone, and you'd Google, and you'd Google Micah 6, 8, and you would say, what is this? Well, here's what it is. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? God is calling people, people into action, specifically to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. 
Let's look at the context, some of the context in which this significant verse occurs. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear you, mountains, the controversy of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord is, has a controversy with his people, and he will contend with Israel. Now, does this sound like a possible court case? God as the judge and the hills and the mountains as the jury before God? Oh, my people, what have I done to you? In what have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. But the people are incredulous. What do you want from us, God? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 gallons of oil? And horror of horrors, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression and the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And finally, the prophet shouts out, He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Today we want to focus on the first of the imperatives here, to do justice. So what is your understanding of the word justice? Well, it's a common enough word used in many contexts in our society, but it is also a complex ver word, difficult to define all in one meaning, all in one of its many meanings. A month of Sundays would not be enough to cover justice. Over the past few weeks, in preparation for this sermon, I've asked a lot of people, what do you understand by justice, and had a lot of different answers. A couple of weeks ago, Marion and I were walking in the mall, and suddenly she stopped, and she points to a window and says, there's justice. And I look up, and I said, there's justice. And I wonder, what is it saying? What does the, the mall require of you, teenage girls, but to do justice and to shop richly in this mall? Uh, from earliest childhood on, we have a strong sense of justice. It's not fair, we say. I want justice. C.S. Lewis says, even children in, at the very early age learn to speak the language of fairness and, uh, are, are, and want to be treated equally, be it from their peers or from their siblings. It seems to be we seem to be wired with a strong desire for the world to be fair, to, to, for the world to be in order. Or in other words, our desire for justice seems to be intrinsic to who we are. Now, C.S. Lewis started off in his young adult life as an atheist. He was an intellectual, 
and he argued against the existence of God. But as he continued on in life, he met more and more people for whom justice was an issue. In fact, eventually he concluded that everybody cares deeply about justice. And when he tried to answer the question, where does this come from, his only conclusion was, this is from God. And uh, C.S. Lewis moved from being an atheist to being a Christ follower, one of the, certainly one of the best in the last century. Well, every government has a Department of Justice. I checked up many, many governments, and they all have a ministry or Department of Justice. Here's one Department of Justice job description. The, job of, the, the Department of Justice task is to enforce the law and defend the interests of the country according to the law, to provide leadership in preventing and controlling crime, to seek out just punishment for those guilty of unlawful behavior. Well, that's a fairly common concept of what justice is, to apply punishment for those who violate the law. Let's say somebody breaks into your car and steals your case, your purse, and your computer is in your purse. What do you say? You say, I want justice. I want the violator to be caught. I want the violator to be punished. Politicians frequently call out, get tough on crime in their uh, campaigns for election. Get tough on crime. We call these references to justice retributive justice. Pay back justice. But justice is also a key concept in scripture. Retributive justice, yes, there is some there, but most of it is a different type of justice. So the Bible says, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Throughout scripture, the word justice frequently occurs together as a pair with the word righteousness. Justice and righteousness go together, and in Hebrew, they have a very close meaning, almost exactly the same meaning. So if you take these two words and their derivatives from Scripture, you will find more than a thousand references to justice. By the way, um, sexual sin is mentioned 90 times. So with justice and righteousness more than a thousand times, you can clearly see what God's priority is, right? Just saying. Biblical justice is primarily about doing right, being right, making right. Biblical justice is first and foremost a relationship, a relational term. It's about people living in right relationship with God, with each other, and with nature. Justice is rooted in the very character of God, in the very nature of a liberating God. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. 
Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you, says Psalm 89. Jeremiah, in chapter 9, calls out, Let those who boast, boast in this, that they understand and know me, that I am the Lord. I act with steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. Now, there are two main ways in which God expresses uh, righteousness and justice, particularly in Old Testament first. God is a liberating God. Again and again, God refers to God's self as being the one who frees you, who liberates you. Just one example from, um, from, uh, that's from uh, Micah 6, verse 4. He says, For I brought you up from the land of Egypt, and I redeemed you from the house of slavery, freeing from slavery. But beyond that, God's ultimate justice liberates all people, not just his covenant people, through the incarnation, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Listen to Paul's words in Romans 3. But now, the righteousness of God has been disclosed. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's God's justice. And as God is passionate about justice and righteousness, freeing from enslavement and from sin, so we too are called to be passionate about justice, about doing justice and righteousness in our life. Now, justice happens in community. Kent Annan, the author of the book uh, Slow Kingdom Coming, says, we should be aware of how we tell the stories of justice. We should be aware of the capacity and contributions of people around us. Now the Lord says, for the Lord your God executes justice for the orphan and the widow and who loves the stranger providing them with food and clothing. Does that sound familiar? Ah. I want to just mention a couple of justice ministries that are uh, within our community, within our uh, Waterloo region, but also then specifically focus on uh, Elevations Justice Ministries. So first of all, um, Justice Ministries within the broader Waterloo region. There is the House of Friendship. Now these are favorites for Marion and myself, and there are many others, but I just want to identify these. For 60 years, the House of Friendship has actively involved in clothing people, in feeding people, in providing uh, food and clothing for those who are addicted in serious ways. Some of you here have been involved with the Mennonite Coalition for Refugees. They look after refugees in their need and reach out to refugees in very significant ministries. There's a ray of hope, for example, a ray of hope which feeds hundreds, perhaps even thousands of people every week. And of course, there is my all-time favorite in which I have spent 17 years of my working adult life 
with Mennonite Central Committee. This coming year, in 2020, uh, MCC is going to uh, celebrate 100 years of development, of relief, development, and peace in the name of Christ. And we have at MCC restorative justice ministries. We have indigenous neighbors ministries. We have material resource ministries. By the way, just last week, several of us gathered around a container and blessed it as we sent it out, as we sent out uh, to, to the country of the Ukraine, which is in such desperate need of support. And I just want to call out a couple of um, elevators who are part of the ministry with me. There is Rachel. Um, and Laura, I believe, is not here. But it's a privilege to work together with others, other elevators in this wonderful ministry at MCC, Mennonite Central Committee. And we within uh, Elevation have ministries as well. We should be aware of the capacity and the contributions of people around us, says Anand. So we have, for example, the Journey Ministry. A shout out to all of you who are Journey people, who support refugees daily, uh, weekly in this uh, ministry. We have uh, TK and Nikki who were mentioned, who support thousands of homeless people in the streets of Accra, Ghana. There is uh, Ninas Convalur, the Bolivian orphanage, and we can support them through buying stockings. And we have member initiatives beyond the formal congregational ministries. We have, uh, we, we have uh, supportive housing, a show, supportive housing of Waterloo. I think I've got that right. We have InterVarsity. We have Adventure for Change and many other ministries within this congregation. Ministries that are justice ministries. Now, the place where God calls you is a place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Isn't that a beautiful expression? The place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. That is my favorite quote, certainly from Kent Annan's uh, book, The Slow Kingdom Coming. I'm going to tell you a couple of stories, and these get more personal as I go along. But instead of telling general stories about, uh, about justice, I want as much as possible to tell personal stories. So in October of 2000, my parents had just finished celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary. While Dad went to park the car out back, Mother went across the street to buy Christmas, sorry, birthday cards for her many scattered children and grandchildren when a driver, traveling at twice the legal speed limit, struck and instantly killed her. The 27-year-old driver, of course, was charged with drunk driving causing death. Now, my father was devastated. Our family was devastated. My mother was the glue and, and the energy that kept this family together in a significant way. Well, my mother was well known within the community, and so the St. Catherine Standard, the local paper, ran the story on the front page the next day. 
And someone wrote a letter to the editor and said, lock him up. Lock him up for life and throw away the key. And many of us agreed with that. When the time came for the sentence of the driver, dad asked the judge for permission to speak to this young man. Dad told him how much he loved mother, how much he missed mother. And then he said, and I forgive you. And I pray that you will become an experienced and meaningful producer of meaningful life. When people ask dad, how could you forgive that man? He answered, I do not want to live the rest of my life in anger and resentment. In order to live my life in peace, I must forgive him. Now we call this restorative justice. The fundamental principle of restorative justice is that crime is a violation of people and relationships rather than only a breaking of the law. The most appropriate response to criminal actions, therefore, is to repair the harm caused by the wrongful act, to repair the broken relationship between victim and offender. Hey, if you want more information on restorative justice, Google the Elmira story. Some of you are probably familiar with it, but in 1974, two young men from Kitchener, happened to be work working for MCC, has started the restorative justice in Elmira in a way which is hard to imagine. And the restorative justice has spread from Elmira around the world, literally. Anyway, that's a sermon for another day. Well, a few further stories about how God, God's call brought us to deep gladness when our lives intersected with the world's deep hunger. So, is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke and let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke, says God? In spring of 1965, I was writing my last essay for the African geography course I was taking at Laurier. My paper focused specifically on the country of Kenya, which just the year before had finished uh, had gained independence from British colonial rule after a long, hard struggle. The newly independent country focused on serious economic and social challenges. And as I, as, I was, as I was doing the paper, there was within me the call to do justice in this particular context. So after getting my teacher's teaching diploma, um, Marion and I joined Mennonite Central Committee's Teachers Abroad program and went to live and work in Kenya for three of the most eventful years of our life. I taught at Kenyatta College, Kenyatta Teacher Training College, where more than 500 students graduated each year. It became a justice issue where they went out in, on their own to establish newly independent educational systems in their country after a hundred years of colonial rule. And you shall not deprive a resident alien or an orphan of justice. 
One of the real joys for us at uh, Elevation is to see the number of, uh, of uh, families who have adopted children. The word orphan appears in Scripture 56 times, and frequently it appears together with justice. In Kenya, many, many children were born out of wedlock, and most of them were taken gladly into the extended family systems. But biracial children were not so easily put up. And so this is how we became the proud parents of our two oldest sons. While we were in Kenya, the war in Vietnam was raging. In 1969, there were more than 500,000 American military personnel in Vietnam, resulting in thousands of war orphans. It took us until 1973, but in 1973, one of these abandoned orphans, our frail, petite, amazing daughter, Leanne, joined our family. As Leanne grew up into adulthood, she was an incredibly hard worker. She was an all-star soccer player, but always she was looking for a meaningful relationship. Well, Leanne grew into adulthood, went to Toronto to work, and one day she called us and said, Mom and Dad, can you come? Can you come to Toronto? Because we need to talk. So what does the Lord require of you when your child says, I need you to know that I'm a lesbian. I have tried my hardest to become a heterosexual person, but I can't do it. I am same-sex attracted. Well, you love your child. You love your child unconditionally. We did with Leanne and do to this day. Well, they say what goes around comes around, and Leanne today runs one of the largest catering businesses in Fredericton, New Brunswick. And one of the things that Leanne does is she intends and she deliberately hires refugee persons, trains them in food services, and then sets them out, lets sets them free to do their own business. And once in a while, she gets interesting visitors, like the guy in the white shirt up there. Do you recognize him? Give justice to the weak and to the orphan. Maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute. So what does God require of you but to do justice when your children have fetal alcohol syndrome? We knew nothing about FAS, fetal alcohol syndrome, when we adopted our two youngest. Neither apparently did family and children's services. They certainly didn't tell us anything. But by the time they reached mid-adolescence, we knew far more than we ever wanted to know about FAS. We sat all night in hospitals praying for recovery of an overdose. And we visited far too many prisons what does the Lord require of you? Somewhere we read this following quote, and it became our mantra for them. Every child needs a mom and a dad to call in the middle of the night, Mom, Dad, please help. And yes, we drove through the streets of the city of Toronto, 
at midnight, hoping to spot a child whom we hadn't seen for years. Oh, it's a slow kingdom coming for FAS sufferers. But it is coming, and we can attest to that. So what does the Lord require of you as you move toward retirement age? Is there an expiry date for justice? Is there a time when the date's up? You know, when you can sit and dream about sitting on a beach in Cuba, drinking pina colada, when it's all over? Maybe, but not yet. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. As we were heading into our 70s, we were called to take on a young grandson. And over the years, we have been to endless baseball games and cold and wet football games. But we go with deep gladness. Loved you lots, bud. So what does the Lord require of you, of you individually? How are you being called to do justice in your family, in your community? And what does God require of us all together as the Elevation community? God calls us to do justice. And I want to end with this famous verse from the prophet Amos, so beautiful. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Lord, this is our longing. We just would love our lives to be flowing in your stream of righteousness and justice. Let it be so, Lord. Let it be so. Amen.